Hey, it's Lauren. Thank you so much for listening to The Afterlight. Enjoy the episode. This episode has been brought to you by The Afterlight Institute. The Afterlight Institute is a community of teachers and students seeking to expand their spiritual gifts and their inner wisdom on the road to illuminating their forgotten selves. Offering online courses, in-person retreats, live events, online expositions, and more, the Afterlight Institute is a safe and inclusive space for all. To learn more, head to theafterlightinstitute.com. Lauren Grace here and welcome to the show. I'm joined today by Rick Schnabel, who was born to post-war immigrants who taught him the poverty cycle. It would create a life of hardship, insecurity, violence, and drama caused by perpetual money issues. At 40, Rick untrained his brain and broke the cycle. Rick has turned untraining his clients' brains, their patterns, and programs into a string of success stories. Since 2002, and with over 37,000 brain untraining hours, Rick has been helping average people to get beyond average by untraining their brains. If you want more from your life, you need to untrain your neurological programs from driving your current behaviors. Rick is also the best-selling author of five books, including The Power of Beliefs, Seven Beliefs That Will Change Your Life, The Secrets to Creating a Life Beyond Limits, Roar, Courage, From Fear to Fearlessness, The Life Coach Millionaire, and A Richer Way to Think. And he's joining me today to talk about how empowerment is magical and how you can choose a richer way to think. Rick, thank you so much for being on the show. Welcome. Thank you very much, Lauren. It's nice to be here. So reprogramming your mind and retraining your mind is actually one of my favorite subjects because it's something that I've been doing for over 19 years now, around 20 years or so. And um, I know that for me, it's completely changed my life. I remember when I had a, an aha moment, which actually wasn't that long ago now, maybe five years ago, which was, oh, wait a minute, I don't have to believe everything that I think. And it flipped my whole world upside down. <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a fascinating concept, you know, this whole idea of that we actually believe where our thoughts and I would guess that there's a large majority of people that really do believe that. Yes, for sure. And I know a big part about that is, is awareness. And a big part about that is getting clear on the thoughts that you are telling yourself. And I think in our discussion today, we're going to be going through a whole bunch of gems, really. So our listener at home, you know, if you want to grab a notebook and a pen, I'm sure that Rick's going to be throwing down some some really inspirational things here for you to uh, for you to learn from. So Rick, before we get into you know, what does it mean to be your own clairvoyant and the power of our minds? And, you know, what about desire and why is empowerment so magical? We do. Well, I always like to go back before I go forward, I suppose. So where did your journey start? You talked about the poverty cycle in your book, and I mentioned it again here in your bio. I'd love to know where it all began. I guess for me is what I started to learn is I started to learn how we become so influenced by our family, by the people around us. You know, you've heard it said that, you know, we are the sum total of five of our closest friends. 
And it's so true from a financial perspective, from a sociological perspective, from a mirror. And we become like the people that we're closest to. And the reason for that is because we're often wanting to build rapport with those people around us. We want them to like us. We want them to trust us. We want them to believe us. And we, of course, the motivation is to be accepted into that tribe. And the biggest problem we have with that is who we choose to be around or who we are born into. And for me, um, my family, uh, particularly my mother and my father, they went through a depression. They went through the Second World War. They went through um, migrating from, you know, one country to another country. And there was a lot of hardship a huge amount of hardship and that created stress certainly for my mother my my father really suppressed it but my mother expressed it and so i was very much a matriarchal family and uh, my mother ruled the roost with a wooden spoon and a whippy cane and um you know back in those days it was it was nothing to hit your children if they fell out of line um, but for me, it just went a little bit too far sometimes. Mm-hmm. And uh, my mum would get into a rage and the rage was often fueled by money. So they were her triggers. Whenever she lost money, whenever I asked for money, she would often be triggered by that. So I started to develop very, very quickly a very negative relationship with money. I just thought money was bad. I thought money was certainly something that was only there for the privileged. I believe that it was hard to earn money. I believe that you were capped with your income. And, uh, you know, later in my life, I started working with all sorts of people who started to throw these ideas at me like, you know, you're limited by your thinking, you know, that's only your beliefs that's stopping you and, blah, blah, blah. And that's what it sounded like, just a whole bunch of blah, 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 because it conflicted with my belief system. It conflicted with my value system. It conflicted with how I was trained to be. And um, so that's really where it started around that particular point. And, uh, And then I discovered that your mind and what is your neurology, of course, before phrases like neuroplasticity and so forth, Mm-hmm. I discovered that, you know, we're not hardwired. We're actually softwired, just like a computer. We can get a software upgrade. So cool. So I know that one of the things that sort of happened to you is that you had a bit of a, I don't know, maybe a life-defining moment where you realized that you were substantially in debt. You were concerned about the welfare of your family and, you know, what was going to happen to you. And was that kind of an aha moment that helped you to create a bit of a shift and helped you to start to maybe make integrating some of this knowledge, a bit of a priority, or did that have to come at a later stage? Well, what basically happened, I I believe that reasons get results. And if you have a good enough reason, you will take what you've learned and apply what you've learned. And, you know, these days there, there's so much data, so much information that many of us become, unfortunately, 
I hate, hate this term, but it's the only term that I can think of right now. We become intellectual morons. You know, we, we actually know a lot of stuff, but we don't apply that stuff in our lives. And I was very much an intellectual moron. Um, I had done a huge amount of studying. I'd done a lot of reading. I had learned neuro-linguistic programming. I had learned manifesting, you know, with a crazy American guy who was mentoring me for some time. And he was throwing ideas at me that just kept pow, 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 hitting me in the face. And even though I wanted to believe in them, there was a big part of me that wouldn't allow it. And I was at a critical point. I was working in a, a sales job. Now, I was the worst salesperson that this company had ever had in the history of this company. It was, a, it was an American company that had a base in Australia. I was the worst, according to them, I was the worst salesperson in the history of the company. I was worse than any American, any Australian employee that ever employed. And uh, it was clear to me because I had been with this company now for about eight months and I had brought in the sum total of $3,000. And that was it. That was net total. And I just could not sell. And uh, one thing, I was working with a coach at the time. And uh, of course, I learned a lot from neuro-linguistic programming. But whether I was applying this at this particular juncture was, you know, debatable. And so this coach said to me, he said, I want you to tell me, what do you really think about salespeople? And by the way, if there are any salespeople listening to this, please delete what I'm about to say, because it's not true. But I was asked this question, you know, what do you really believe about salespeople? And, and I said, honestly, I think salespeople are sleazy. I believe they would sell their own grandmother. And um, they're not to be trusted. And he said, there's your problem. And I said, what do you mean there's my problem? And he said, well, close your eyes for a moment. Just imagine yourself to be the most successful salesperson that this company has ever had on the books. And he said, now tell me what you think of yourself. Uh, and I, and it, all of a sudden it was an epiphany because I realized that I was going to be the sleaziest person on the planet. I would not only sell my grandmother, but I'd sell your grandmother too. And I would definitely not be a person to be trusted. So it conflicted against my values, that belief system. And so I was unconsciously actually sabotaging my results. Mm -hmm. And uh, so what I did was I decided at that moment, of course, we did some change work. What I decided at that moment was that I was going to be the best salesperson that they had ever had. And all of a sudden, things started changing. But it began in a moment that really defined and completely changed my life. Mm. I remember I was down to my last $27, my wife reminded me. And um, we, were, we were in big, big trouble we had a mortgage, but we couldn't even sell the property and get out of the debt. And um, I was starting to think, oh, my God. And I've just had a child. So I'm thinking, what a terrible father. What a terrible husband. You can't even provide for your family. You're going to be out in the street. 
And this was a real proposition. I had one month to, to make good. And uh, I decided all my thinking up to this point wasn't getting me anywhere. So I went up against the glass. I was working in the Rialto in Melbourne, which is a fairly tall building, which has got, you know, floor to ceiling glass. I got up against the glass and I asked myself, I think one of the most powerful questions I've ever asked myself. And I said, what would my life be like really if I was a multi, multi, multi-millionaire? And I really tried it on. I really thought about it. And as I was thinking about it, I began to smell different things in my office. You know, I smelt wood, I smelt leather. You know, I heard different things. I heard a little trickling water fountain in my office, you know, gentle music. I started to feel different. And this thought came into my mind and it was, you know, come on, be honest with yourself here. If you were to be a multi, multi, multi-millionaire, you would have to give value with repetition. And I thought to myself, what is the value that I have that I can give the world? And in that moment, I really tried it on and I felt completely different. But the fascinating thing was my phone rang in that moment. And my office almost looked like a broom closet. It was so small. I just reached across the desk, picked up the phone, and uh, the person at the other end of the phone gave me an order which equated to half a year's income. And it was almost like one phone call, just one phone call, pow, mm -hmm. and my life changed. And the exciting thing happened when I decided to do it again. So I did exactly the same thing again. And again, my phone rang. I picked it up and again, it was half a year's salary. And the difference between the first amount and the second amount was exactly $1,000. And I thought to myself, even though this is fantastic, something is limiting this to some degree because the difference is only a grand. And I did it another time, but then I upped the ante and my phone rang again I picked it up. This time I was quite nervous. <laughs> I picked it up and I thought, you know, what's going to happen this time? And this next phone call gave me a whole year's salary. And now I had two years income from just three phone calls. Wow. And I thought there's something going on. I'm doing something obviously to make this happen. Mm -hmm. And within three months, I went from the worst sales person in the company to the best. And all of a sudden I was so much so that they couldn't believe it. They investigated me. <laughs> I had the sales director fly from Sydney to Melbourne to meet with me. And he took me out to breakfast and he said, I want to know, what are you doing to make these changes? Because no one does this. I've never seen this before. I've been in sales for all of my life. I've never seen this before. What are you doing? So I started talking to him about beliefs and about manifesting and about your intention becomes your reality mm -hmm. that, you know, you, and I started quoting the Heart Math Institute and I started quoting all this research I'd done. And he said, cut with the crap. And he said, I want to know you're not doing anything illegal. 
And at that point, I just knew that his belief system wasn't where mine was. Yeah. So I just fed, I fed him a lie. I just said, I'm just meeting a lot of people. And he said, I thought so. Fantastic. Yeah. Awesome. Keep up the good work. Yeah. And yeah, that was another epiphany because I began to realize that there's a lot of people who will not allow that level of insight to come to them. It sounds too magical. It sounds too whimsical. It sounds too unreal. And it, well, it certainly was unreal from my past experiences, but, you know, from that moment on, my life was never, ever the same again. And, you know, people came from all over the world, you know, wanting to, you know, because they heard about this, I put it in a book, uh, a friend of mine asked me to write this down and write down what I did and how I did it. And once I wrote the book, that changed my world because people came from all over the world to say, how do you do that? Can you coach me on this? Can you train me on this? Do you run workshops and et cetera? And that's essentially uh, what Mikhail Csikszentmihalyi in his book Flow talks about. You know, when you get to the point where you grow your skill and grow your expectation along with that skill, a whole new reality can form. And negativity creates negativity. Positivity creates positivity. And all the energy that we put out there really does come back. Yeah, it's so true. I love the line in, in your book, A Richer Way to Think, where you say desire is a key and destiny is a choice. And it sounds to me like you had a strong desire and you made a yes. decision and then you changed your whole life based on that. Is that sort of how you would summarize that thought? It's very much it. It's one of the things, you know, these days I do a lot of work with people, helping them to change their money mindset. And something that I'll often ask someone before we even really get into the deep stuff, I'll usually say, why are we doing this? You know, why do you want to change your money stuff? <laughs> and if the answer is, I just want more money, that's really not good enough. Um, that is non-specific. It has no energy attached to it. It's very lustful. It's very grasping. And it's not the right energy to really create. There's got to be a dance with love. You know, you've really got to love it. And you really got to love the life that you're creating. And you've got to have that level of relationship. It's a little bit like, you know, we've all been in the situation where we say those, you know, three very scary words, I love you. And, you know, when it's reciprocated, it's almost like the earth moves, things move. Before you know it, you're married, you've got a mortgage, you've got kids, you know, and your whole world has changed. But the essence is love. It really, really is. It's that, it's that. It, it, I think it's the purest of all intentions, mm -hmm. you know, that element of love. And it's also a healer and it's a really good why and it's a good reason to get results. So desire is definitely the first piece. Mm -hmm. I definitely agree with you on all that. And I know for myself, you know, I've been listening to a lot of Abraham Hicks work and, you know, they talk all the time about connecting to your emotions and, and following that, that feeling of joy and ease. And I think that, you know, for whatever reason, we're not taught at a young age that 
following our bliss and following ease and flowing with life is the natural way of doing things. And that when you're grinding and you're hustling and things aren't going easily, <laughs> that that's actually yeah. a complete sign that this is maybe not the direction for you. And I, and I know for myself on my spiritual journey, I always feel like I'm connected to my higher self and my spirit guides when I'm connected to my heart. And when I am flowing and, and following that inner calling. And I know that, you know, in your book, you mentioned that you had a couple of opportunities there to kind of look at the life coach uh, industry for lack of a better word or career direction. And you avoided that for many years. And it wasn't until you had sort of a difficult time in a relationship and you opened a new chapter that you decided to to give that a go. So I guess my question to you is that, you know, it's all right and, and fine to, to honor, you know, the flow of life and love now, but why is it that you didn't earlier and, and why are people not doing that? Like, why do they want to grind and hustle and, and in a way suffer? Is it beliefs again? Is it lack of desire? Is it familiar? Yeah. The, the formula typically is conditioning first. And then what comes as a result of the conditioning is we want to know how to work in the world. We want to know how to be. We, we want to know how to create comfort, safety, security, which is usually our basal levels of need. And so what we often will do is we'll do the bare minimum to get the maximum. And what often happens is, like for me personally, any fanciful type thinking was really beaten out of me. You know, if it wasn't by my parents, it was by people around me. I, I was brought up in a Western suburbs of Victoria school. It was very violent. It was very punitive. If you stepped out of line, um, there was physical hurt attached, not verbal abuse. Mm. And well, sometimes there was verbal abuse too. But so for me, I, I grew up very scared. I, I was a very scared kid. I was scared of the world. I was scared of my future. And um, I was at the fearful end of the equation. And, and the way I like to look at manifesting and creating what you want in the world, you're either at the fearful end or you're at the love end. And I was so far away from the love end. And I was very first introduced to life coaching by a journalist who, you know, was doing a story on life coaching, an industry that was starting in the world. And, and she marched into my office and threw an envelope on my desk. And she said, she pointed to the envelope and she said, this is you. And I said, wow, fantastic. I've been promoted to an envelope now. And she said, no, no, no. She said, I just did a story on life coaching and you are a natural. You, you do this all the time. You know, all the managers in this company, whenever they have problems, they come to you and they say, talk to him, talk to her, show them the way. Mm. You know, so she said I was a natural coach. And for me personally, my belief system like uh, I was, I can't remember what salary I was on, but I was probably earning only 70000 or $80,000 or something like that. 
And what was happening was I was thinking, how do I duplicate that income as a life coach? You know, and I couldn't answer that question. I couldn't work that out. I had no idea. And um, what actually happened was uh, I was in a relationship um, and that relationship ended. And again, I was chasing money and I was literally constantly chasing money and money was running away from me. And uh, so, and of course I had that expectation. I was never going to catch up to it. But the thing was that um, what essentially happened was my relationship broke up. I moved out. I said to, I remember saying to a friend, I said, I'm going, I'm going to create freedom. That's it. That's what I want. I want, I'm going to sell my car. I'm just going to ride a motorbike. I'm going to live in an apartment in the city. I'm going to paint. I'm going to write. I'm going to get back to my creative side. And I'm just going to let go of all these fanciful ideas that I've had. And, um, and he said, good luck with that. <laughs> and so the thing that happened was I remember the very, the second last box I emptied was, you know, back then the video recorder and the TV. And the last box I emptied had this envelopes unopened sitting at the top of the box. And, uh, and I finally opened it. I hadn't opened that envelope. I was so scared of opening that envelope because something told me that when I find out about this life coaching thing, I'm going to want to do it. And so I opened the envelope, watched the video, looked, read through the brochures, and I thought, oh, my God, I do want to do this. This is terrible. You know? And now I had that conflict, you know, which how do I do this? And um, I remember a good friend of mine, was in the office one, one evening, walked into my office and said, uh, what are you doing tonight? And I said, oh, I'm going to this uh, talk about life coaching. And he said, oh, tell me about it. And I said, oh, it's just learning about how do you help people and uh, life coaching, blah, blah. You wouldn't be interested. And he said, actually, I am. And he was kind of like, I kind of see him as my guardian spirit. He came with me that night to ensure that I committed. And I could remember sitting in that seminar and I had, you got to remember, I had terrible money ideas back then. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, finally they said, okay, to do the course, it's, you know, nine and a half thousand and, you know, and we're doing an early bird of seven and a half. And I just saw that figure, seven and a half thousand. I went, no way, Jose. And I knew, I could see, Tony was my friend. He nudged me and he said, I'm going to do this. Let's do it. And I had already prepared the two lamest excuses I could come up with. So when he said, let's do it, I said, oh, Tony, I said, I haven't got the time. And he said, rubbish, you work in the same company as me. Just take time off. And that excuse didn't work. So then I tried the number one excuse. I don't have the money, Tony. And um, I had decided uh, around that point that I was going to sell my motorbike. And Tony knew about this. And he said, what is your motorbike worth? And I said, I don't know. Seven he said, I bet you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he said, I bet you you could get seven and a half if you sold that motorbike. And I can remember I did the lamest sign that I could 
on the motorbike just so Tony could drive past it and see that I had it for sale. I didn't advertise it anywhere. And uh, on the very, the Friday, the enrollments closed. Thursday night, out of the blue, I get these two phone calls. Two people are now arguing over who's going to buy this motorbike. And I just knew it was sold. And I enrolled in the course. I had so much fun in the course. Both Tony and I had so much fun that they had to separate us. You know, because we 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 were at home. We were home. We thought, oh my God, this is it. This is our place. Mm. All of a sudden we had a language that we never had before. All of a sudden we started learning all these techniques. We we were among friends. It was like all the people in that course we resonated with so well. These were our people. These were the people that we hadn't seen in our jobs, hadn't seen in our social circles, but they were all here. And um, it was it was like everything that I had learned was opening me up, opening me up, opening me up to realize how I had become who I'd become. And that was a huge epiphany. And it gave me all of these insights, all of these tools. So when later on in my life, when I was to go out and coach, I could relate you know, people would come to me and they go, looks okay for you, Rick, you're successful. And I go, wait a minute, let me tell you my history. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so it was, it was fantastic. I just fell in love with coaching. I fell in love with helping. You know, I, I find that even still today, um, like I now teach coaching and neuro-linguistic programming and Last night I had a big group and we're all, you know, talking about how to create strategies in your life. And I find that it, I find that I had to live the life that I lived because I can share so many, hey, guys, this is how I used to think. This was the problem of that thinking. And this is how you get out of that thinking. And it's made me a great teacher. It's made me a great coach because I had such a terrible, tumultuous life. Mm. Um, but it's also made me realise that life is never, ever bad. It's never, ever bad. It's just a series of lessons. Mm -hmm. That's all it is. Yeah, I love that. And I, I totally agree because, you know, if you were born with a silver spoon and hadn't struggled at all, you wouldn't be able to relate and it would make you disingenuous yeah. in a way, wouldn't it? I love that you talk in your book about use the term you're um, being your own clairvoyant. And I yeah. thought that that was such a cool way of essentially saying that, you know, you are making up your own future you know, with everything that you're doing, with everything you're choosing to think with all your beliefs and, and everything that comes with you. I guess my question to you is, you know, when you're speaking, you do have a light that I can see when you're talking, you have this lightness, you have this ease and it makes me feel like maybe empowerment is magical. And I can see that reflected in you. And I'm sure you can see that reflected in the faces of the people that you work with and the people that have, you know, that you've helped. So I guess, you know, if our listener at home is listening or if they know somebody in their life that are just not experiencing this kind of flow or not experiencing this kind of 
empowerment, feeling that life maybe isn't in mat isn't magical and they're being their own clairvoyant, but they're setting themselves in a direction they don't want to head down. You know, how do people even begin to get started? I mean, when we're talking about the voice in our minds, you and I are very familiar with that. What if our listener at home has no idea what we are talking about? How would you even explain that? This episode has been brought to you by the Afterlight Institute. Ignite the light, magic, and miracles within. The, the thing that I find, you know, I've spent many, many an hour laying in my bed at night thinking about how can I make things simpler? How can I make things easier? Yeah. Um, because the truth is that it is vast. It is huge. It is all-encompassing. It covers beliefs, values, histories, identity. It, you know, it covers physiology. You know, I've, I've done so much study over the years where, you know, now I completely know we have three brains. We have a head brain, heart brain, gut brain, and we've got to put this in synchronicity to make it work. And we can't go out there and grasp and fight and do all those sorts of things. So the first step in getting ultimately a shift point is the first step is desire. There's got to be, you've got to look at your life and you've got to ask yourself a very serious question is, is this the life that I imagine for myself? And does it make me feel good? Does it, does it help me be a better person? Does it help me to contribute to other people's lives? You know, am I helping? Am I adding any value to this planet? You know, so all the important questions to kind of go, where am I right now? The second point typically is to find some sort of level of education. And some people can go through that level for years, you know, reading lots of books, doing lots of courses, um, having lots of conversations, getting into groups and so forth. And education is great. I'll, I'll never deny the value of education, but education, you can get lost in it. Mm -hmm. The main thing that you've got to do is you've got to, you need to apply what you learn. And as quickly as you learn it, rather than um, actually classic example, last night I was working with this group and I gave them this strategy and I said, here is a strategy. This strategy is it's used when someone has an ineffective strategy and you want to change their strategy. This is how you do it neurologically and this is how you do it practically. And then I got one of our students to become a demonstration and then I did the process. Then I said to everyone else, you can see how easy this is. And then someone put up their hand and they said, I'd be a bit reluctant to do that until I fully mastered it. And then I said, firstly, that's a belief system. That says that you've got to master before you do. Mm -hmm. But mastery happens when you do. And mastery happens when you apply. Like, I could give you 100 books on how to ride a bike. And if you read them all, you will be no closer to the saddle of the bike and your feet will be no closer to the pedals. The first point of mastery is when you let go and you've got to let go of balance and risk falling over and be okay with that. 
but it's our ego that creates so much harm for us because we're scared of being shamed. We're scared of looking stupid. We're scared of, you know, being relegated down the social hierarchy because we are seen to be not adept at doing something. And humanity has to get over that. You know, we've got to, we've got to be able to get to a point where we allow ourselves to risk falling down. And so education is great, but then we've got to apply and we've got to have a reason to apply. And we've also got to work out how we're going to measure this. You know, what are we measuring? If we move, if we shift, if we grow, what are we measuring? And uh, that was a key piece that I learned in coaching, you know, that if you're not measuring things, you never really know whether you're shifting things. And so you've got to work out what element you're measuring. You know, quite often when I work with people to help to increase their income, it's very easy. You know, I'm working, I was working with a lady yesterday and I said, okay, three measurements I want. I want to know, I don't want to know the numbers, but I want you to know them. Your net worth, your savings per month, your income per month. And I want to know what they are. And one more thing, your spending. And then we can measure, we can measure as your money grows, we can measure that and it's really easy. But when you're talking about things like confidence, mm -hmm. how do you measure that invisible quantity? And so typically what we'll need to do is we'll need to create some sort of activity or behavior or something that someone does. And uh, quite often I, I work with a lot of people who want to be leaders in the world. And one of the keys is putting yourself out there. So you can measure that. You can say, okay, when you do your first YouTube, that's a measurement that says I can now do this. Or when you do your first talk, that's a measure. I can now do this. And, you know, you'll only get better and better over time. But um, many years ago, I used to run creative teams. I used to run advertising agencies. And one of the things that I learned through that is I learned how quickly a creative person can fall apart if they don't get the right feedback. And you don't ever want a creative person to fall apart. You want them to build on their ideas, just keep going. So I learned this technique where I would say to our team, I would like, here's the brief. We've got to create a television commercial for this. Here's the brief. Now I want your worst work. I don't want your best. I just want the crap. Just so just give me as much crap as you can. And then people found that really easy. They'd say, okay, uh, how about we have a dog in the middle of the road and a car's coming? And you go, oh, okay, that's setting up some tension. You know, what happens to the dog? What is the, you know, what's that heroic moment? You know, and and so that would be encouraging. And people would go, oh, 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 how about it's a spaceship? A spaceship comes and then sucks the dog up just at that critical moment, you know? And then you go, okay, how does that fit in with the brief? And then they go, oh, let's adjust it a little. So, so what you're doing is you keep to the brief, but you let the ideas run. And, uh, you know, I... I teach a lot of life coaches and one of the big challenges that life coaches often have is how to get clients. 
And I'll often say to them, look, just get yourself out there. Do your worst work first. Don't try to perfect this. Just put yourself out there. Then give yourself feedback and create that feedback loop. Feedback at the end of the day is when someone says, hey, you're the perfect coach for me. How can I connect with you? You know, and that's good feedback. Mm -hmm. If you get none of that, then change your tact. You know, change how you present yourself. Mm-hmm. But be yourself, you know, and let yourself be yourself. So I think that can make a huge, huge difference is, you know, when we let go of this incredible amount of tension and expectations that we put on ourselves, no one ever said we had to be successful. No one ever said you had to stand tall or be this or be that. You had free will. You could be whoever you wanted to be. But some, sometimes I think we forget that. Don't you agree, Lauren? Yeah, yeah. No, I totally agree. And I think sometimes, and this is also what I was reminded of when I was reading your book, that people sometimes they don't dream big. They don't believe that they're worthy of it. They're too hard on themselves. They don't allow themselves to fantasize about what their life could look like if they were a multi, multi, multi millionaire looking out the window of their shoebox office. They don't know who they want to be. And so then they don't even know how to begin to get there and make decisions that take them there. And it sounds to me that you're sort of saying that, you know, when people are given an opportunity to dream big and when they make small little minor adjustments into the direction of where they want to go, that's where, you know, they start to create that momentum and and get that sort of shift happening. Exactly. It's a little bit like um, we all have things in our hearts that sometimes expressed and for others unexpressed but I don't believe in coincidences you know like for instance someone right now is listening to this and this isn't here for entertainment this may well be here to create an opportunity for shift Mm. but you've got to be open to the signs you've got to you've got to see the universe being very supportive You've got to see the universe going, hey, 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 check this out. Look at this. Isn't this along the path that you want to go? Yeah. And, you know, sure, sometimes we've got to put on our big girl pants, our big boy pants, and, you know, do something that, you know, kind of gets us out of that comfort zone. But um, I wrote a book at one point because I, I often go into my pool of students and I go, what do you guys need? What do you, you know, what do you, what do you guys really, really need to get you to the next level? And at one point I realized that they had all of these skills that I'd taught them. They had all of these practices that they were doing. They were getting really good at coaching. And I realized that some of them just needed to take that leap of faith. And so I wrote a book called Raw Courage because I felt that that's what they really needed. They needed to understand and become intimate with courage. And I thought, how am I going to start this book off? And I like starting with stories. And I thought, okay, what was the scariest moment in my life? And then I thought, no, better question. What was my first scariest moment in my life? My first scariest moment was my family was so controlling. And uh, I so wanted a bicycle when I was a kid. And when I was seven, I was given a bicycle. And the first thing I wanted to do was ride that bike. 
And so, of course, I had to put this bike together and, you know, put the pedals on and do all that sort of stuff. And the moment I got it, my dad said, you can't ride on the road. So here I am condemned to the block. And that's all I was doing, going around the block. And I must have driven the neighbours crazy. Here's that guy again, you know, around the block. You know, here's that guy again, around the block. I, I wouldn't be surprised if I went over 50 times around that block. And there was my dad at the front of the house with his arms crossed, making sure I wasn't riding on the road. And I realised in that moment that this was me. I was scared. I was so scared to do so many things. And yet here I had this green dragster and, and I was limiting it and I was limiting me. And I can remember I got to this corner and I just, I roared like a lion and I jumped the gutter and now I'm on the road. And from that point on, I was free. From that point on, I rode and rode. I would ride almost all day long and see how far away I could get from my house. And um, it gave me an adventurous spirit and it gave me courage. And, and I think that that's what the universe does sometimes. It puts us in those opportunities where we've just got to, we've got to roar. We've got to, you know, tap into our primal self and, jump that gutter and find ourselves in a whole new world. And, and I kind of liken that to many of the transitions that I've personally had and, and others that I've seen have in their lives. You, you've got you've to just jump that gutter mm-hmm. from time to time. And I think persistence, right? Persistence and faith, because I remember, I think it was in um, Thinking Grow Rich that, um, that Napoleon said, you know, basically that people often give up right when they're about to succeed. And I mean, you could have, you know, bailed when you jumped the gutter or you could have, you know, gotten too scared and and turned around and gone back, but you persisted. And because of the persistence, your courage grew. So, you know, how is it that people keep going when they're not getting the clients or the income's not coming or, you know, there's a roadblock in the way, you know, how can they decipher what's actually the path they're meant to be on versus a clear sign from the universe that's maybe telling them that this isn't the direction? I think that the way I liken it, I think we've all been given a sandpit that we can all play in and we can play nicely with one another or we can fight or we can build a castle. And I think we are given complete free will to create anything in this life. I don't think we are actually meant to be anything, Mm. but I think what we have is we have a heart. And if we follow our heart a lot more and our head a lot less, Mm. then I think we will find the right path because what, what I personally did in my life didn't make sense to anyone around me and let alone did it make sense to me. You know, people like that company that I was working in, that sales company, I got to a point that I was getting, I was going to get to a point within a year that I would have been earning a million dollars a year. 
I would have been earning an incredible amount of money. I was already earning what I used to earn in a year. I was earning in a month. Wow. And I was earning so much money. And I remember the company, that same sales director that interrogated me, he said, can you teach everyone what you're doing? And I said, yes, sure, I'd love to. And one particular guy hung off every word I gave him. He was very hungry. He really wanted to find success. And one day I took him down for a coffee and I said, this is my last lesson to you. And he said, what's that? I said, I'm leaving. And I said, my last lesson to you is don't just chase money for money's sake. Mm -hmm. Follow your heart. Mm -hmm. Follow what's really inside of you. And he just couldn't get it. He said, what? He said, you are earning more money than our prime minister and you are working less than him. You have less responsibilities and you're just going to walk away from this? And he said, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to start a company called Life Beyond Limits and I'm going to teach people how to get beyond their limits. And he said, so first month, what's your income? And I said, I don't know. It'll be whatever I manifest it to be. Mm. And he said, how would you go? Why would you go from that level of income to nothing? Why would you? That's insane. And then I remember pointing to a couple at a table that were not far away from us having a coffee. And I said, you know what? That couple over there that are having that coffee they might look like everything's going wonderfully in their world, but my heart wants to help. And I don't know whether they're about to get a divorce or whether they're having terrible times or whatever it is, but I now have the skills to help anyone with almost anything, any problem. And I said, it is, it is being a thief to not give your best to the world. And I said, I don't really know what the future actually holds, but I got a feeling that the universe is going to support me and I'm going to do this. And I said, at some point, you should too. You should follow your heart. I said, this company is very much just very money orientated, mm -hmm. but I'm very service orientated. I want to help. I want to, you know, sure, I want to earn money, but... I want to do what is in my heart. And the way that I see it now is kind of like your heart is the messenger. You know, that's the thing that knocks at your door and says, hey, Lauren, remember that dream you had? You haven't done it yet. And then you say yes or no to that. And if you say yes, then you move up to the head and say, okay, head, I need a strategy because my heart has a dream. Mm. And your head goes, okay, we could do this and we could do that. Or how about this? Or how about that? Or let's follow that model. And then you talk down. Finally, once you work out the strategy, you say, okay, the very first step is I'm going to get up and I'm going to do a talk to an audience. Okay, gut, how do you feel about that? And gut says, I am freaking out right now. <laughs> it's really, really scary. You got to do some work with the head to change my thinking so that I can take this step. And if you can get me to convince me that I'm going to have food and I'm going to survive, then I'm all for it. But right now, 
I can't see the food and I can't see me surviving. So you calm the gut and you get the gut to a point that you get the gut on side. So now you've got your heart, your head, your gut all in alignment. And I think that's how you make good choices. You know, follow your head a lot less, follow your heart a lot more. Yeah, that's so well said. Well, we are nearing the end of our hour together. I can never believe how fast the time flies. One thing that I really that's did incredible. Want to, I know it's it's insane, but <laughs> I wanted to know, Rick, what are some of the non-negotiables in your life? You know, do you meditate? Do you eat a certain way? Do you exercise? Do you read? Uh, you know, inspiring books. How do you sort of maintain a high standard? And, and I say that, you know, in the sense of, you know, high expectations, but, you know, you're, you're, you're living in a way that you haven't lived, you didn't live maybe 30 years ago, right? So how do you maintain yeah. that? The thing that I do is I use as a measure, actually, you mentioned Esther Hicks earlier, and mm -hmm. Esther Hicks had a great model, which is her emotional guidance system. Yes. And her emotional guidance system, of course, says that if you're in shame, you know, you're, you're at about 20 hertz, so very low energy. So my measure is, you know, the very middle point usually is the courage point. You know, when you all of a sudden go, right, I'm going to do that. But there's still some fear in it. So my measure is to get to levels of joy. That's my measure. So I have to now ask myself, what do I have to do to maintain a higher frequency? So some of the things that I aim to do is don't badmouth people. Don't get angry. Don't get frustrated, you know, and don't see people's behavior as being directed at you because you're just going to become a victim. So they're the ways that we engage and interact with others around us. You know, don't be jealous or any of those sorts of things. But there are also, the mind is not the whole equation. So it too is the food in our bodies. So some of the things that I've been exploring a lot of late, particularly with my wife, is people like um, Anthony William, medical medium, you know, and doing things like, you know, getting the metals out of my body and doing cleansers. So food plays a very, very important part. Alcohol, I might have the very, very odd drink, you know, every now and then, mm. but it's not a habit. I don't do it with regularity because I know that alcohol actually reduces my, uh, my energy, my vibration. Mm. So equally, you know, uh, and I don't want to, you know, say that, you know, veganism is the way or vegetarianism is the way, but certainly, you know, eating animals lowers my vibration too. Um, and, but, you know, there's no judgment here. Please, if you're eating meat or, you know, having alcohol, that's okay. Um, you know, it's please don't judge yourself in any particular way there. But equally, exercise is also important. Moving your body, moving your body tells you you're alive. Mm -hmm. And and I think the the key ingredient, and it is now a must. I have to do this. I don't ever see myself retiring. I know that every time I give value, like even this, you know, 
This, this is giving value to a community. Mm-hmm. It makes me feel good. It sharing this information is important to me because it helps other people live a better life. And if everyone starts living their ideal life, following their hearts more, we do end up with a better world. Yeah. Now, my spiritual teacher says that, you know, none of us go home until we all go home. So it's all about us all helping everyone. And that includes, you know, the craziness that's going on in the Ukraine at the moment with Putin. Mm -hmm. You know, he's one of us. Hate to say it, but he is, you know, and all of us have to go home, him included. And every person that we call a lech or a treacherous person, you know, these are just judgments and the world has to change. We've got to stop, you know, negating people, judging people, you know, because everyone has free will. Yeah. Nice. So good. So is there anything that you wanted to mention, Rick, that you didn't mention in the show? I mean, really there, I had probably 10 questions we didn't get to because it's just, there's so many things to discuss. So was there something that I didn't ask you that you felt called to speak on? And also how can people find out more if they'd like to find out about your group classes or if you're still doing your coaching as well? Yeah, um, I think you've asked some great questions because you created the opportunity for me to share some key things that, you know, I probably even couldn't have planned to share. Uh, So your questions have been fantastic. Um, And as you say, there's just so much more that we could, in fact, cover. Mm -hmm. I think if anyone is drawn to some of the things that I've shared and wants to learn more, probably the best place to go is lifebeyondlimits.com.au. You know, there's all sorts of free information there. There's all sorts of things you can connect with. We're always running courses and uh, we're always coaching and helping in lots of different ways. And there's all these books and things there too. So that's probably the best place. Perfect. And I'll put a link to that as well for our listener at home in the show notes. So it's an easy click away. Well, thank you so much, Rick. I've really enjoyed talking to you. And I think that it's great to see people like yourself with the story that you've shared today, you know, going from one extreme to another and, you know, just kind of reminding people that if they're not happy with where they are, it's up to them to stay there or not. And I think having people like you to inspire others, to show them that there is a way forward is wonderful. So thank you for your time. Thank you so much, Lauren. And thank you for the great questions too. Thank you. Hi, thanks so much for listening to the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please leave us a review where you listen to your podcast and share it with your friends. Thank you. New episodes every Thursday.